When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast on a Monday. Dan Lobby with Mary Kate Cabot and Ashley Bastock. And it is the day after the Kansas City Chiefs win another Super Bowl, 25-22 in overtime over the 49ers. So we're going to talk a little bit of Super Bowl. We'll frame some stuff as well, kind of you know how it pertains to the Browns, uh, if it does at all. So I don't know. Let's just do winners and losers. That's always a good way to address this stuff. So Mary Kate, let's start. Our first winner from, what was this, Super Bowl 58? Our mm-hmm. first winner from Super Bowl 58. Well, of course, you have to start with the great Patrick Mahomes. My goodness. At one point, the Kansas City Chiefs were 5-5 five and five this season, and it really looked like this was the year that they could be beat. It looked like this was the year that maybe not having a Tyree kill you know, wasn't going to serve them well, that maybe they were going to struggle a little bit in that regard. And Travis Kelsey wasn't always exactly uh, what everyone expects him to be. So it just seemed like, you know what, this could possibly be the year where maybe the Ravens get past them, or maybe if they do get to the Super Bowl, they won't win it. But lo and behold, Patrick did what Patrick always does. He puts on the Superman cape, And he does Superman type things in these big, huge games. I think we are witnessing the goat. I think we're witnessing the goat. And, um, you know, I do think that before all is said and done, there's a, there's a good chance that he's going to have as many or more Super Bowl victories as Tom Brady. Uh, now having said that real quick, um, you know, I think it's the combination of Andy and Patrick together. I think it's those two guys together that make the magic and the dynamite happen. But it all starts with Patrick. You can't do those kinds of things unless you have a Patrick to do it with. And I'm writing this uh, later today when we get off the pod that, you know, this is where the bar is set for the Browns. I mean, if they ever want to achieve their goals, their hopes and their dreams and their Super Bowl goals, not just getting there, but winning it, they are going to have to solve the Patrick Mahomes conundrum. It's never going to be easy. They landed... uh, in, you know, at a time when they're trying to get there and they have the roster to, to actually maybe get there, they've got a Patrick Mahomes standing in their way. So this is how it's going to be for the next how many ever years. Yeah, I mean, everything you do has to be focused on that. And we see this, like, this is how great players in sports work. Like, whether you want to talk about Michael Jordan or you want to talk about uh, Tom Brady, you know, Derek Jeter and those Yankees teams, like... 
when there's a great player, they stand in the way of teams that maybe are also great or also really good teams. Like this 49ers team was really good. I, they're, they were a more talented team, I thought, across the board than the Chiefs. Um, but it didn't matter because of Patrick Mahomes. You know, th- think of all the teams in the Jordan years that were legitimately great teams and they just could never beat him. Um, you know, I mean, Tom Brady, how many how many great teams did he vanquish, right? Like the greatest show on turf could have become a dynasty, but then Tom Brady showed up. So, yeah, Ashley, I mean, if, if we want to frame this sort of with the Browns, it comes down to... Look, in the NFL, anything can happen. Patrick Mahomes is not going to win every Super Bowl from here on out. There are going to be opportunities, but the bottom line is you've got to figure out a way to beat him, and it's it's going to be really hard. Yeah, I mean, I think yesterday when there was like two minutes left in that game, I'm, I assume you guys too, but like my initial thought was, oh, they have so much time left. Even though they were down, I'm like, Patrick's just going to march them right down the field. They're either going to tie it. Or they're going to score a touchdown and there won't be much time left for San Fran to respond. And of course, that's that's ultimately what happened. He got them into field goal range. They were able to tie the game. And when you get it into overtime, I mean, that's like his bread and butter, I feel like at this point. I think it's why with, you know, the past Super Bowl wins, obviously now this one added to it. Why I talked about last week being so hesitant to just bet against Patrick Mahomes in this game. Like, I won't do it until you give me a good enough reason to not do it. Essentially. They have the experience at this point. He just has the, you know, cliche ice in his veins in those situations. And I do think, you know, a lot of what happens throughout the NFL landscape is now defined by him and defined by these chiefs and how long they can keep this rolling. Um, And it just shows, you know, underscores the importance of getting that franchise quarterback. If you are another team across the league. Yeah, I mean, Mary Kay, it comes down to what we like. We're going to spend all offseason talking about, you know, all the things the Browns do or don't do, the players they add, the players they don't add. Um, and, you know, make sure you're reading all of that and listening to all of that on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. But we could also just save ourselves a lot of time and just take the rest of the offseason off and, and just say, like, it really does matter. Like, it, it's really just all about Deshaun Watson. He's got to be, he's got to be Deshaun Watson from before 2020 or from before he came to the Browns. And I don't even know if that's good enough, to be honest. I mean, that Deshaun Watson blew a 24, nothing lead to Patrick Mahomes and the chiefs. So I don't even know if that's good enough, but that's really your only shot is you have to have a quarterback that can match everything Patrick Mahomes does and, and can lead a game winning drive can do the things that Patrick Mahomes does. And I don't know if there is another quarterback out there, but the Browns have to hope, Deshaun Watson can at least become the guy who was close to that back when, back in his Houston days. That is exactly why they chucked Baker Mayfield overboard and went with Deshaun Watson. That is what this was all about. They knew that they had to have somebody that could go toe-to-toe, arm-to-arm, knee-to-knee with Patrick Mahomes. They knew, they felt, they believed in their heart of hearts they were not getting there with Baker Mayfield, and you don't find these quarterbacks that that can be that good every day of the week. You can't. It's very, very hard uh, to find this elite, elite level of quarterback with this with these kind of skill sets. And look at what is facing them right now. Uh, I think this is an important thing to note, and I'm going to be including this in in my column or whatever we want to call it for today. You do not just build your football team around trying to win your division. That's not going to cut it. 
that's an important part of it. And for some NFL teams, that's not that big of a deal. Going out and winning your division, a lot of teams can pretty much sign up for that at the beginning beginning, and know that they're going to have a good chance. The Browns don't have that luxury at all. They have to try to get past Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, and it doesn't look to me like they're getting bad anytime soon. And then uh, this year you should have a healthy Joe Burrow, and I'm sure they're going to make every effort uh, to get better in the offseason as well. So just winning the division, just getting that home playoff game that they keep talking about, I mean, that alone, when you're bumping up against the Lamars and the Joe Burrows of the world, is is so tough. I mean, we can rattle off the other divisions where there's usually one team that you pretty much know is the best team in their division, and they're and they're going to have an amazing opportunity to win their division. With the AFC North, you never know. I mean, it is so up for grabs. If if we if the three of us had to pick who the division winner for 2024 is going to be right now, I don't know. I don't know how it would go. We could have three different answers. We probably we might have three different answers. So, first of all, you've got to try to win your division and get that home field advantage and get that home game. But then there has been such a renaissance in quarterback play over the last five years that it's not just Tom Brady anymore that you have to deal with that you're that you might not get past. You know, you finally get past the Tom Brady situation and now you move right into the Patrick Mahomes era and it's, it's going to be hard and they're going to have to build this team towards not just beating Lamar, not just beating Joe, not just winning their division, but trying to get past. Also, you have to keep in mind, uh, you know, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and any of these other rising stars, CJ Stroud. I mean, think about that. I mean, look what they accomplished in their first year. So it's going to be tough, but as you know, my headline or something, it will be something along the lines of the bar is set at Patrick. You've got to get past Patrick. And if you can't find a way to do that, then you're not going to be able to, to hoist that Super Bowl trophy. Okay. Ashley, who do you have as your winner from last night? I think one of my winners is going to be good kickers because I think it was just a narrative all year. Obviously, if you were a Browns fan and the amazing job Dustin Hopkins did, we've talked about it at nauseum. I don't think they would have gone as far as they did. But you saw it last night on the big stage how important it is to have a super reliable kicker. And now credit to Jake Moody because he came out there and made that last kick. I thought for sure he was going to be a goner after he had that extra point blocked. Now, ultimately, having that extra point blocked was a big deal. If it hadn't been blocked, maybe that game doesn't go into overtime. Maybe the 49ers are able to win in regulation. But I saw this tweet, you know, this morning from Field Yates with Harrison Butker's stats for the year. And they were so Dustin Hopkins-esque, including the fact he was 7 for 7 this year on 50-plus yarders. That, to me, just shines a light on the fact that Hey, Dustin Hopkins was eight for eight on that same distance. That's a huge, amazing number. Um, Going back to Butker, though, 15 of 15 on 40 plus yarders, 44 of 46 on all field goal attempts. He was a perfect 46 of 46 on extra points. And two of those 50 plus yard field goals came in the Super Bowl, including now 
the longest field goal in Super Bowl history with that 57-yarder. So I think it just kind of underscored again, hey, it's really important that you have a kicker that you can trust in those situations if you got to throw him out there to try to hit a 50-plus yarder especially. Yeah, I mean, Mary Kay, that game is if, – if the Chiefs are down four on that final drive, they have to approach things a little differently than they did, only down three, knowing that they could at least tie the game, that they had that in their back pocket. Um, so they could kind of dial back on the desperation a little bit. They just had to make sure they got into Harrison Butker's field goal range um, to at least send that game to overtime. And his range is pretty far. <laughs> um, so – uh, yeah, great kickers. Obviously, you, you've got to have one. And th- and again, that's why the Browns decided before the season, we're not going to leave our fate in the hands of a guy that we don't trust. And so they went out and they got Dustin Hopkins, one of Andrew Barry's best moves. So um, that that's that sort of points to why you do that. And we've talked about it on this pod. I mean, Dust- Dustin Hopkins has won game, one games for the Browns. Yeah, I'll tell you what. You know what? There were two moves that Andrew made. Uh, Two enormous moves that Andrew made this, uh, you know, this season that got the Browns into the playoffs, Dustin Hopkins and Joe Flacco. Without either one of those guys, they are not in the playoffs. There were other moves. There were other guys that made great contributions, but they were not going anywhere. They were not getting to the postseason without those two guys. No way. And uh, yeah, definitely two of his absolute best moves. And I think that they worked out even better than they could have possibly imagined. Nobody expected Dustin Hopkins to go eight for eight on 50 plus. He was a 50% 50 plus kicker heading into this job. Eight for eight on 50 plus. I mean, you're not winning the indie game without that. Uh, There's no way. Uh, By the same token, think about, I was thinking about this and I even texted Ashley this yesterday during the, during the game. If Jake Moody makes the kick in Cleveland, the 41-yard game winner that he missed, a game-winning attempt that he missed, the Browns might not have even made the playoffs this year. Okay, That's how tight this is. That's how thin the margins are. And if he makes that kick, it could have changed the whole entire season. And that one missed kick changes the perception changes the season uh it it changes everything so um so yes i think a a kicker is enormously important and that was a huge huge part of the game having that extra point blocked and it was a low kick the trajectory was low so yes you can get those blocked kicks when it's not the kicker's fault but in this case it was. And, you know, I'm almost surprised that they stuck with him as long as he did. And he did a lot of great things throughout the year. But I mean, you, you just can't have somebody that when the game is on the line, isn't going to come through for you. So the Browns are very lucky to have Dustin Hopkins, very, very lucky to have him. He's under contract through next season. Uh, I think they should extend him. I, I think they should wrap him up as soon as they can. And, um, you know, and, and call it a day because he's tremendous for them. 
And the other game we should point out is the Baltimore game. Like we're we're going to hear about the second half of that Baltimore game at every press conference this year because the Browns are going to really try hard to sell us on Deshaun Watson. So we are going to hear 14 for 14 over and over and over again. And we wouldn't hear that if Dustin Hopkins didn't make that field goal. Um, and I know that wasn't a, a long one, but still, we watched enough Cade York to know that it wouldn't shock anyone if he would have run out there and sent that thing wide left um, and the Browns lose that game. So... Okay, I got to pick a winner here. We're gonna have to, we might have to do another like lightning round of winners because um, we're gonna leave some people out. But I do want to spend time on this side of the ball as well. I think Steve Spagnolo and that Chiefs defense, um, big winners, and I don't think they get enough credit be- just because. Look, obviously Mahomes gets the headlines, and he should. But it's kind of scary when you think about that defense. And and I have their roster pulled up here. George Karloftis is 22. Nick Bolton is 23. Um, Trent McDuffie is 23 years old. Uh, you kind of keep going through this. They have some really good young players. Um, I'm looking for 26 years old, Justin Reed. This is a really good defense. Legereus Sneed is 27. This is a really good defense. Probably the best secondary in the NFL. Definitely the best corners in the NFL. And they're young and they're really good. Now I know Chris Jones's contract situation is weird. I thought he was incredible last night. There was a case that if Patrick wouldn't have done what he did, maybe Chris Jones could have been in the MVP discussion. I mean, he was just all over Brock Purdy. I Steve Spagnuolo in that defense is as big a reason that the Chiefs have a Super Bowl trophy this year as any, and the way that they sort of rediscovered how to play. Like, let's keep ourselves in the game. But, I mean, it could have been 17 to nothing at halftime. You know, let's keep us, let's keep ourselves in the game. Let's make sure that, you know, against Baltimore, we're, you know, we're going to stay in that game. We're going to keep it close. And then Patrick's going to do Patrick things like he did last night. I, I just think Steve Spagnolo and that Chiefs defense were incredible all year long. And again, like, it's just, of course, we're going to talk about Patrick Mahomes. We should. But, I do think that Chiefs defense was really good. And Mary Kay, they're going to be good for a while, I think. They are going to be good for a while. And I love this one, Dan, because um, I really appreciate, and I know you guys too do too, is a, a really good defensive performance. I don't love those 48-37 games. I don't love those. I love, I mean, now the first part of this game I know got somewhat boring, but I like to see good defense. And this, that, there was a lot of strategy going on. I mean, and you could just hear, uh, you know, Tony Romo sort of at the, at the end of the game predicting that, um, you know, that the Chiefs were just going to like all out blitz and, and come after Brock Purdy. And, and they did that uh, in, in some instances. And it was poetry in motion. That defensive performance was amazing. And I just need to talk about Chris Jones for a minute. Uh, I spent a little time at Chris Jones's table at the, um, or actually it was the podium. He was at one of the risers and I spent time with him there listening to him talk and just getting to know him uh, a little bit. And I asked him about Miles Garrett and he, he's funny. He's a, he's a really funny guy. And by the time I walked away from that table, I was like on team Chris Jones. I mean, big time on team Chris Jones. And I would, I think I would, you know, that leather satchel that I sometimes talk about. I think I would go to the bank 
and stuff a bunch of big bills in there, like hundreds, bunch of hundreds in there. And I would knock on Chris Jones's door and I, I would open up the, the big satchel for him and ask him if he would, wouldn't mind coming to Cleveland. I, you know what? I know that probably sounds crazy, but he is that good. I mean, he is that good. You saw him affect the game. You saw him force Brock into an errant throw at the end of the game into the end zone that could have made the difference between winning and losing. And you saw him with tears streaming down his eyes during the national anthem. You want to talk about someone who cares about his job, someone who brings the heat on the field, off the field. I think he would be dynamite for this locker room. Oh my God. I mean, I know it's probably, it's, it, it would, it's nothing that they're probably going to go out and do because of the money. But that's a guy I would spend my money on in a heartbeat. I mean, I might end up writing it. It's probably, you know, going to be another one of mine. You know, they should do this thing that they're probably never going to do. Um, but I'll tell you what, he's great. And you're right, Dan. So many other players on that defense are really, really good. And Steve Spagnuolo put on a clinic in in really good defense. And it was fun to watch. Yeah, can't, I mean, Kansas City would be crazy to let him walk out the door. That would be right. A, that would be a, a brutal mistake. And obviously, it's something they avoided last year. Um, yeah, and he, I mean, he's only 29. Um, so he's, I mean, he's been in the league eight years, but he's still only 29 years old. He is. Um, as impactful a, a defensive tackle as there is in, in football. And he, and he can play on the edge too. You, you can kick him outside too. So just, I, I just was, I've, I've been blown away by this defense. I mean, really all season, Ashley, but in these playoffs, again, just going back to you look at that second half against Baltimore when Kansas city's offense didn't do anything. And they, they made sure that Baltimore's offense wasn't able to answer, wasn't able to take advantage. And just again and again in this game, they stepped up and, and they answered the bell and they kept San Francisco the, the third down um, in the fourth quarter. I can't remember exactly where, where it was. I think it was, I think it was before the Moody field goal. So holding them to that field goal. And then Mary Kay mentioned the play in overtime, you know, just, just an incredible performance from a unit that has sort of been flying under the radar all year. Yeah. You know, it is interesting because I do think that's exactly it. You hit on it earlier, Dan. It's like this idea of this defense has been so good, but they're just never going to be able to outshine Patrick Mahomes, no matter what they do. I mean, maybe if they went through the season and had 17 straight regular season shutouts, that might be enough to outshine Patrick. But I do think that is ultimately, you know, a huge part of why they won. They have a D coordinator who was able to just kind of figure things out against these offenses that are a bit different. And we talk about this all the time. Obviously, the Browns see the Ravens twice a year, right? They're one of the handful of teams that are very familiar with what Lamar Jackson can do. And a lot of times, even that familiarity is not enough. I think ultimately looking at this postseason run, that Ravens game between the Chiefs and the Ravens is going to get talked about a lot with what that defense was able to do. Because, you know, we talk about it all the time and there's stats out there NFC teams, for example, do really poorly against the Ravens typically because they just don't know how to handle Lamar. They don't see him a ton. They don't have to worry about it. And, you know, the Chiefs just not being in this division, I think it's, you know, on a lesser scale, kind of similar to them. They don't have to worry about playing Lamar Jackson multiple times a year. The fact they were able to figure out 
how to hang in there as a defense and keep them from getting rolling in the second half. I mean, that was key to even just getting to the Super Bowl because so many people just assumed it would be the Ravens because of how they were rolling. So even to me, this goes back, you know, to two weeks ago, as much as it goes back to yesterday too. Um, and I, I just saw this. This is from uh, Ben Fennell on Twitter, um, who's, who's a good follow for film draft stuff. Uh, that touchdown last night um, to Jawan Jennings was the first slant Jadarius Sneed has given up for a touchdown in his entire career. That's that's how good he's been. Um, so just an unbelievable play from that secondary for a long time here. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, but there, there's still a couple guys out there that we have to throw out as winners before we move on to losers. So we, so we can do a lightning round real quick. Um, Andy Reid, right? We got to talk about Andy Reid, right, Mary Kay? That's, that's the yeah. big one we're really leaving out. Yeah, he would have been my next one. Yes, absolutely, 100%. Andy freaking Reed. I love Andy Reed. Oh, my gosh. I love Andy Reed. And I think that, uh, once again, that combo, that combo of a dynamite play caller and the quarterback together, the synergy that you get with those two guys, that's what makes it so magical. You have to have other things. I mean, you have to have a Travis Kelsey out there making plays. But when you get that quarterback and uh, play caller combo, it's just unbeatable at times. And this is the second Super Bowl in a row that I have watched them use. I've watched the Chiefs use very creative motion on those pivotal plays at the end of the game. And I wanted to go back and look at the film from last year, but I just vividly remember last year that they did it on two different plays where they used an in and out motion and really just threw off the um, the defensive backs with it. And, the, and they did the same thing here with, I got, I've got to read more about it again, but, um, but the, you know, the corn, is it the cornhole play? Is that what they, they called it? <laughs> what did they call it? I, I can't corn, remember. What, I, I, corn cob? I've, I heard I can't it like five they, times last night, but I can't remember. <laughs> but anyways, it was creative use of motion that, that really foiled the defensive back there. And it got Nicole Hardman open for the game winning touchdown catch. And I don't know, they got it going on there with, with that kind of stuff. And they work so hard on that, on their red zone packages. And they, they go to very creative, unconventional things that we've seen them do. Um, You know, the turnaround play that Andy got from, the Rose Bowl in the 1950s or whatever the heck that that was. Um, but, you know, Andy, geez, I mean, he he's so forward thinking, even though he's been around for so long. Um, I mean, he, you know, he'll he'll try, you know, he'll try anything. And, you know, he knows how to how to work, you know, the system to maximize Patrick's amazing skill set. And that's what the Browns are going to have to do this year with Deshaun Watson. And it's going to be interesting to see who is even going to be calling the place. I think it's going to be Kevin. I think it should be Kevin. I wrote a column about that. 
uh, the day that I got to the Super Bowl. But I do think it should be Kevin because we haven't seen yet what he's got. I still need to see it. I still need to see what Kevin is all about as a playmaker, as a play caller, uh, when he's got a full season with Deshaun Watson. So I, I want to see that. What, what do you have? What do you, what you got? That's what I want to say. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so Andy, I, I'm on, yes, I'm on team Reed all the way. And and this is one that, that stuck with me. And I, I look, one of my losers was going to be Kyle Shanahan. Um, but this is one of the reasons all I heard last night after that game from Chiefs players, whether it was at a podium or when they were getting interviewed on NFL Network after is, we got sick of hearing about the overtime rules. They spend so much time going over the overtime rules for two weeks. They were like sick of it. And lo and behold, clock's running out. And I'm sure there were people out there who were like, oh my God, the Chiefs have to score before time expired. No, they were fine. They didn't have to rush. Would have gone to another quarter. The possession had to end. They knew that. Like they were prepared. And then you hear 49ers players after saying, Oh, we didn't even we didn't know the overtime rules. Like we didn't know they were different in the playoffs. And we did that's bad. And that's just something that Andy Reid is so, so good at. Not to bring up an old wound from Browns fans, but after um, the Nick Chubb didn't slide in the Jets game, I was listening to Chris Long's podcast and he has he has his brother on. And Kyle played for the Chiefs for a year. I, I think it was only a year. And he was just right. Like Andy Reid is so good at like, he's like that Nick Chubb play. That's going to go right on the Chiefs teach tape. We would have known to go down. We would have been ready in that situation because that's how Andy Reid is like. And you don't think about Andy Reid like that. You think about him as this big, goofy, offensive genius. But it is so buttoned down with him. And he is he has himself and his players prepared for every situation. And like Kyle last night said, Kyle Shanahan said, like he had gone over overtime stuff with his people, like his analytics staff. But you got to have your players prepared, too, because if Chiefs players wouldn't have known the situation, maybe they would have panicked. So I, I just think it's that stuff, too. It's the offensive genius stuff. But it's just the more and more I hear about Andy Reid is like, Ashley, he checks every single box as far as preparation, making sure everybody's ready, just that there's nothing that he doesn't have control over and he doesn't get just because of who he is and his personality. He doesn't kind of get thought of like a bill Belichick or, or in that way, but he's the same way. He's the same kind of obsessive compulsive, like we're going to be ready for every situation coach. Yeah. You know, I think to me, it's like, we've, we've kind of hit the main points for why Andy Reid is so good. It's like that creativity, like Mary Kate mentioned. I always think about that Rose Bowl play from, like three Super Bowls ago now, um, three Super Bowl titles ago now that they, you know, successfully used and then that preparedness. But most importantly, Doug's not here to defend himself anymore. And I feel the need to say I still will never forget in our coaching draft that we did after the 2021 season when I took Andy Reid, not first overall, with my first round pick. Doug gave me so much you know what over that pick he totally disagreed with it he was going on and on about is it Andy or is it Patrick and I just want to say Doug I was right and you were wrong and again here we are two years later and this just proves it it is them as a tandem I don't care what anybody says there are not many guys out there who would think the way Andy Reid thinks and I think it's a huge part of why they have as many titles as they do and why they're you know the next dynasty in the NFL um, let's see. I want to throw out, I, I feel like Brock Purdy's I a winner. Had... I, oh. I feel like he was, I thought he played really well. 
I thought he, even, you know, even though I just raved about the Chiefs' defense, and how good they were. I thought I thought Brock played really well last night. I thought he did a, a nice job. So I I would put him in a, even though he lost, I would put him in a, in a winner category. I, I came away impressed with the way Brock Purdy played. Yeah, I was impressed with the way Brock Purdy played too. I mean, he has really amazing field vision. He really does. I was watching him and thinking, how in heaven's name can you take somebody as Mr. Irrelevant, last pick in the draft, and he is this guy that almost has Tom Brady-like processing skills. I mean, my goodness, uh, there are many, many really, really good things about him, and it's just mind-blowing. I mean, they they picked a, a quarterback what it was either number one or number two overall that they just had to also chuck overboard uh, in keeping Mr. Irrelevant. So he's, he's really good. He really is. And I mean, he's obviously much better when Debo Samuel is on the field and Chris McCaffrey's on the field, but in his own right, he's a really good quarterback. This is also where we need to mention that San Francisco belongs on the list of teams that did not take Patrick Mahomes. Um, they traded out, they traded out of the number two pick that year. Um, so Chicago take, could take Mitch Trubisky. And then they took Solomon Thomas, number three. So mm-hmm. um, yep. one of these days, I know we've talked a lot about the Browns, but some of these teams are really getting passes on not taking Patrick Mahomes. Um, yeah, Ashley, you said you had true. one? Yeah, I did. I wanted to shout out the, I think the Chiefs O-line deserves some recognition to only give up three sacks. And obviously a huge part of the sack number is not getting sacked. That, that, Credit goes to Patrick some on that too, right? His ability to process and escape situations. But I still think that O-line was ultimately pretty impressive last night to only allow three sacks from that defense. To hold Nick Bosa sackless, to only give Chase Young one. I mean, I think that's key. It's easy for all offensive lines to break down against that San Francisco defensive front. And I just thought they never really looked rattled, even though they've had some injuries this year. Um, so I think a really good performance by by them as well, that who knows how it would have turned out differently if they weren't up to ta- up to the task of defending them. Yeah, that's a that's an awesome one. Um, and I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Travis Kelsey for a number of reasons. Yeah, I think first of all, podcast should probably talk some Travis Kelsey. <laughs> right. He is from. Cleveland Heights. So of course we have to talk about uh, Travis Kelsey, but there are other reasons to talk about Travis Kelsey from this game, because in the beginning he was so frustrated. I mean, we saw him, his sideline encounter with Andy Reid, which I was shocked about. I mean, I was shocked and I don't even know uh, to what extent he addressed it in, in post game. Cause I haven't really had a chance to, to read everything yet. Um, but I, I was just blown away by that, that he could, you know, bump into his coach like that uh, and, and just kind of go off like that. And he was, he, he did not play within himself. He, he, he was not, uh, he was not the Travis Kelsey that we have seen all of these years. He, he got outside of his head there and it, and it was hurting him and it was hurting his team. And then he got it together. He so got it together and there's no way they're winning that game without a couple of those enormous catches uh, that he made in the clutch at the end of regulation and second half and in um, and in the overtime period. I mean, they just they're not winning that game without him. And then, you know, so it was cool to hear him, um, you know, just saying that he wants to three Pete and stuff like that, because I asked him, I spent some time with him at his um, podium interview 
on Wednesday at the Super Bowl. And I asked him, you know, how much do you have left in the tank? What, how, how long is your road? And the first thing that he said was, well, I've got, I know I've got this game in me. And he almost started to sound like he was going to be reevaluating it in the offseason. And then he flipped over into, oh, I'd be crazy to give this up right now. And so I thought it was kind of cool after the game to hear him say, you know, I, I want a three-peat. And, and, you know, sometimes if you lose a game like that and the last taste in your mouth of football was a sideline encounter with your coach and things didn't go well, I mean, you never know. How, you know, sometimes, you know, in the heat of the moment, you make a decision that you might not have otherwise made. I think this victory, you know, just solidifies the fact that he's going to continue playing for a while and that he's still uh, one of the absolute, absolute best in the game. And, you know, David Njoku, he's got to continue to push the envelope and push and push and push and try to elevate his game even more. And he's done so uh, tremendously and really, really gotten himself up into that Pro Bowl level. But he's got to keep going because when you have a tight end like that, that is just dynamite over the middle and anywhere else, that has that kind of size, that kind of receiving ability. It's just unbelievable in a, when the game is on the line and the chips are down. So kudos to Travis. He pulled himself together and had a tremendous finish. Yeah, there was another one of those moments last night where it was third down and they were shocked that Travis Kelsey was open. <laughs> right? I don't know. I don't know how he does it. And, you know, when you're a team like the Chiefs and you're a player like Travis Kelsey, you kind of – you kind of learn over time. Like we might be at a place next year where we're halfway through the season and maybe Travis has had kind of a, eh, he's, he's been okay year, but he knows like it's all about gearing up for December and January and being there and being able to put up Jerry Rice like numbers in the playoffs. So I'm just, again, that was, I, I don't know if that was vintage Travis Kelsey, but it was sure close last night. He made a bunch of big plays, Ashley. Yeah, I mean, nine of ten targets he caught. I mean, that's key. That is, I think, the epitome of when the spotlight's on you in the big game, you're going to make the catch when they need it. So I do think you saw it last night. And, you know, it's funny. Like, I think all year this narrative around Travis that hasn't been tied to Taylor Swift is, you know, like, the fact, oh, he didn't have a 1,000-yard season. Like, is he running out of it? But it's like, yeah, he still had 900-some yards, you know? It's like Travis Kelsey, like a quote-unquote down year for Travis Kelsey is still a year that I think a lot of people would love to get out of their own pass-catching tight end on their respective teams. So I do think overall, it, it kind of reminds me, I've used this analogy before, but I really think you're starting to see it, not just with Travis, maybe the Chiefs in general a little bit with how this year went for them. And Travis has actually talked about this on their New Heights podcast. And I was kind of surprised to hear him address it so openly. I think it might have been on this most recent episode that, yeah, you know, sometimes when you're in January or you're in November, I guess, you're in November, it's almost like the dog days of January in the NBA. Like, you're like, man, we're just we're just going to go out and beat this team and I don't have to turn it on 100%. I thought it was really honest for him to like admit that, hey, and I, I think you see it. Like the Chiefs are at this level of winning now that there are certain teams they just know, okay, we can win with 85%. And they are good enough where most teams aren't to win the playoffs come. You can flip that switch and the production comes when you need it. And most teams cannot get away with that. But I think the reality is they can. And it might bum some people out to hear that, but I think we're seeing it. We saw it this year. 
Yeah. And you then, know, I, real quick, Mary, oh, I just want to add to that. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, we saw that with the Patriots too, you know, like there'd be years where it just sort of be like, eh, okay, maybe the Patriots are done. And then boom, they turn it on. Go ahead, Mary Kay. Yeah. I was just going to say that um, when you look at, at David uh, and the impact that he can make on this team, uh, we still haven't even seen David with Deshaun Watson for a full season yet. Now, David came alive when Joe Flacco got out there and started playing. And that's when he got most of his touchdown catches and whatever. Um, but, you know, he made the Pro Bowl and caught six touchdown passes when he had four quarterbacks to work with. So if, if Deshaun and David can even come close. And I remember asking David that one time and he was like, yeah, we can do some of the same kinds of things, whatever. Um, if they can even come close to what those, those two guys accomplished together, then David is going to reach his potential in 2024. And I don't even think it's going to be that hard for him to get the eight touchdowns a year that I have been saying that he would get with Deshaun. And I've always qualified it. I've always qualified that, that he, it, it was going to come when he had a quarterback that could get him the ball where he needs to get it and whatnot. Um, certainly if he had had Joe Flacco for 17 games this year, they would have accomplished that. Um, the more I, the more I think about it, I, I mean, I really do think a lot of guys struggled, really struggled in that, that patch of games where they were going PJ and Dorian. And it was just really hard. They were dropping passes. David was dropping passes. Um, but you know, I, I, am not saying that he is ever going to get to the Travis Kelsey level. We know that Travis Kelsey is a first ballot hall of fame. Okay. He's a first ballot hall of fame, but if David, let's say Travis is a 10, if David can get to the seven level and stay there, then, then he's going to make this kind of an impact on games for Deshaun Watson, the way that Travis has for Patrick. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, real quick, let's do um, let's do some losers. Um, and I want to get into some more kind of random Super Bowl stuff too. I mean, I mentioned Kyle. I just, I still think Kyle Shanahan's a good coach. I just think he made some mistakes last night. Um, and I think like, to me, going back to the overtime thing, I, I think it's pretty straightforward. In that format, you kick the football off. It's, I mean, it's what college coaches have done for years. It's what, heck, it's what high school coaches have done for years in a system where both teams are guaranteed possession. You need to know what you need to do. And the best way to do that is kick the ball off. And then, you know, okay, we got to go for every fourth down. We've got to, you know, we only need three or we need, or if we score a touchdown, we can go for two to win the game. Um, I thought, I thought that was a mistake. And I know Tony Romo said, maybe you do that because your defense needs a break, but I just, we always have this analytics debate about decisions coaches make and 90% of the time it's about information and having that knowledge of knowing what you're going to do. So I, I thought that was a mistake by Kyle. And um, like I said, the, the, when you have players saying we didn't even know the overtime rules and on the other side, they're saying we were sick of hearing about the overtime rules. That's, that's tough. 
I'm not out on Kyle Shanahan. I still think he's a really good coach, um, but this is just another tough loss for him. So I've, I've got him as one of my losers. Yeah, I don't know why the analytics team for the 49ers would have come to the conclusion that, um, you know, that taking the ball first was the right decision. I mean, you know, the more you have time to think about it, it's not the right decision. And they had time to think about it, right? I didn't have time to think about it because I was still figuring it all out, um, you know, when they went into overtime, right? I mean, I was like, oh, how does this work again? <laughs> um but they certainly had the time to think about it. And that's what those analytics departments are for is to think about that. And I don't, it's, it's hard to, to wrap your brain around in what world that didn't seem like the right decision. I, I did read his reasoning and I understand, um, you know, what he said that, you know, in the event that they, you know, needed the ball third, he wanted it then. Um, so, I do kind of get that, but I don't know. I still think you want to know where you stand and what you need to do. And I don't know. It it does seem like a curious decision that, that he will have to be thinking about for a long time. Yeah. And just like you look at the chiefs on their response drive, right? They knew when it was second down and um, who was it? That was it MV, MVS that had the play where he got hit and then went backwards and put him in like yeah. a second and long. So, but they knew, Hey, we've got, we have to go for it on fourth. Like there's no, I don't know where they, yeah. I don't remember where they were on the field. So they might've had to have anyway, but like just having that knowledge of we need to go for every fourth down, you know, whatever it is, just knowing what you need is so yes. different. And so, yeah, I was, I was a little bit confused by that, but um, I don't know. Again, like I said, Ashley, I'm not out on Kyle. Obviously he's been to a bunch of Super Bowls, right? Like he's been to a couple, he's had leads in a couple, which has got to be tough, obviously. And then, of course, when he was an offensive coordinator, we all remember that time. Um, but it, I don't know. There were some mistakes there, I thought. Yeah, like I wonder how long this is going to like haunt him, almost like the the Pete Carroll question, right, of why not running the ball in that Super Bowl has kind of like still comes up when people talk about that Seattle loss, right? Um, I wonder if that's going to be similar because I do think that's kind of like the narrative right now coming out of this game. I know I sent Mary Kay an article about it this morning and we were talking about it a little bit and I brought up something similar. I'm like, I didn't even think about that, that these players aren't familiar with those new rules. Probably like you can't just assume they're going to be familiar. So I definitely think it's an oversight. I think it's like one of those things again, like I understood what he was saying after I still don't think it was the right decision to make and yeah who knows if how much of the blame falls on the analytics people if this is going to be a huge like teaching tape type moment around the league I would imagine it is because it's the first time people have really gotten a taste of it and see how it plays out and why that's a mistake to take the ball in that situation okay do we have any other losers or do, do, do we want to touch on some of the Super Bowl stuff you know, the commercials, the halftime. <laughs> We're required by law if we have a football podcast to talk about that stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't have any real standout commercials. I liked. Really? Um, I, well, there I were a did. couple I liked. There were a couple. I, I liked the Michael Sarah. Um, okay. I thought that one was funny. I liked the Ben Affleck. Um, that's my Affleck standout, one. Dan. Yeah, yes, I thought that that's was, the standout. You know, I'm a sucker for a, a commercial that has Ben oh Affleck and Matt Damon and Tom Matt Brady. I'm Damon's just a sucker saying, for that commercial. 
how about Matt Damon saying, how do you like them donuts? I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, that was so funny. I mean, maybe I just love the movie Good Will Hunting too much, but... I thought that was the standout of the night. I watched it like five more times on Twitter. I tweeted about it last night. I think that gets my crown for the evening. Yeah, I, I liked that one. Did you have one, Mary Kay, that, that stood well, you out? Know what? I mean, there was just one that made me laugh. I mean, Chris Pratt is a Pringle guy. Just for some reason, I just laughed. Like that, that was, that tickled my funny bone for some reason. I thought it was funny. My other one, just because, I mean, it did have a legit impact after the game, was the Beyonce Verizon commercial where she said, drop the new music at the end, and then she released two singles from her next album immediately after. So I thought that was good, too, because everyone was like, wait, did she just say something about new music? And leave it to her. Yeah, there we go. Um, I do have a bone to pick with State Farm and their Arnold Schwarzenegger commercial, basically taking a Simpsons joke and turning it into a stealing a Simpsons joke and turning it into a Super Bowl commercial. But uh, some people understand that reference. Some people won't, but the ones who do know what I'm talking about. Have we talked about, I don't, I know we've talked about it offline. Have we talked about the Kyle Chandler ad that aired in like the Northeast Ohio market yet on the actual pod? I don't remember. (laughs) So I know. I mean, I love that ad. I do too, but I'm wondering like, is it as pro Cleveland as everyone thinks? Because the whole point of it is, Hey, book your Super Bowl tickets, but you can also cancel them. <laughs> I, I saw a tweet. Somebody said they're making fun of us. I'm like, I didn't read it like that at all. I thought it was like so earnest to get coach Taylor to go out there to drop the reference to the Browns defense and how amazing they were this year. I mean, maybe it's not quite as pro Cleveland saying, hey, you can cancel it. But, maybe you know, that's a selling point for United. I don't blame them for including that. It's a selling point. Yeah, that, I, I actually I think with, with whoever tweeted that, that was my first thought. I'm like, OK, this is kind of cool for Browns fans, but aren't they also kind of making fun of Browns fans? I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. OK. And then, of course, Usher halftime show. Fine. I was OK with it. Not, yeah, I mean, I thought amazing. it was good. I, I thought it was really, really good. But I thought it started a bit slow. I thought it finished pretty strong. Um, and I thought it got better as it went along. But even even the duet with like Alicia Keys, like I, I wanted more, you know, I just wanted a little bit more. And maybe my expectations are so high for uh, for a halftime show. But um but it seemed like it needed a little energy boost in the beginning. What did you guys think? I think, I think I agree. It felt a little bit just slower. Um, yeah. And like, I, yeah, it was, it was fine. But I mean, when you're kind of coming off this run where you had the, the Dr. Dre halftime show and then you had, um, it was Rihanna last year. Like you, you kind of had this really strong run of halftime shows. I felt like this one was just kind of down a notch. Um, but you know, it was, it was fine. It is what it is. It, it doesn't rank up. It's not, it wasn't memorable. I think that's what I would say. Like it was, it was good, but it was, yeah. it's, I don't think we're going to be talking about the Usher halftime show 10 years from now. No. I um, agree. And when they showed, um, Taylor Swift talking to Roger Goodell before the game, I was thinking like, I wanted to caption it and say, are you busy in the second week of February of in 2025? Um, you know, that'd be pretty cool. I enjoyed the Taylor Swift cutaways in this game. I don't know. There's just something 
Ashley, this is you. This is your turn. Yeah. But there was, just I mean, I just spent... it felt, you know, it always just feels so real and genuine, you know, like oh, that yeah. whole, it just feels real. And uh, so I enjoyed them. Well, I've used this number quite a bit because I wrote the big, you know, takeout where I talked to some marketing people about, you know, just her involvement and all that. And the New York Times actually did a study before it was pre-Super Bowl. I don't know if the number has gone up. I didn't feel like she was shown a ton. Like it'd be a quick cutaway for maybe one or two seconds and then they'd be back to the action. But on average, she's only been shown about 25 seconds at these games. And I think the New York Times measured going back to Christmas. So I think there's this perception that she's shown a lot more because it's talked about so much on social media. But I do. It's fun. Just like let people enjoy things and be happy. And I said this in my column, you know, I, I think it's funny, this idea of people who will comment, no one cares on something or I don't care. And my little social media algorithm 101 lesson is if you interact with posts, the algorithm is going to think you care. It doesn't remember the sentiment of your interaction. It just remembers that you interacted at all. So if you're seeing her too much, I would say, just don't, don't like or comment on those posts, but I do. I think it's genuinely, it's sweet. It's a nice little story. Um, and yeah, you're, you may think you're seeing her more than you actually are. It was my big takeaway from researching this the last two weeks. Um, good job on that story, by the way, Ashley, if you haven't read it yet, go read Ashley's story. The headline begins with a new era. Uh, so go find that and read it and enjoy that. And then, um, I did when I, uh, talked to Kyle Juszczyk at the Super Bowl, I did tell him that we want to reach out to his lovely wife, Kristen, to design some orange and brown talk jackets for us to wear. And uh, I saw that um, one of her NFL licensed vests I think it was went for like 75,000 so I'm not so sure we can afford Kristen Kristen anymore but uh nevertheless we'll see if we can make this happen somehow our paper will pay for it right cleveland.com will pay (laughs) for those vests or jackets I think that's what I'm thinking (laughs) or maybe maybe we get a sponsor maybe somebody will sponsor us this is one of those what what am I doing with my life moments (laughs) <laughs> like sometimes you hear about how much something sells for, and it's like, wait, couldn't I come up with something like that? Maybe not a an outfit, but there there's got to be something out there, right? Yes. Know. Well, uh, let's. We got to make this happen. You know how <laughs> Travis was able to, um, you know, to use his podcast to get Taylor. That's what I'm doing here. I'm using the podcast to get some Christian use check merch for ourselves. There we go. I like it. Speak it into existence. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll wrap it up there. Our Orange or Brown Talk Super Bowl recap. Um, you can read all of Mary Kay's coverage. You can find Ashley's Taylor Swift. She had a uh, long takeout and then also a column. You can find that at cleveland.com slash Browns. That's also where you can become a football insider subscriber. Uh, the blue banner at the top of the page. You can also become one of our texters there too. We'll have a Hey Mary Kay pod coming up this week uh, if you want to get involved in that. Uh, you can see a bunch of videos from Mary Kay's week in Las Vegas. That's on our YouTube channel. Uh, just go there and search Cleveland Browns on cleveland.com. And there's some of them on our Instagram page as well. Search Orange and Brown Talk. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>